0: My name is Carolina, and I used to say Carolina works, but I'm not sure any longer. Anyway, this is I I See You. You. The first series of I See You has been unfolding on an inner city Portland, Oregon block. Please listen in order to this block level story, but here's some context in case you forgot. I'm a Brazilian immigrant who recorded my neighbors for over a year, and then somewhat unexpectedly our family left to live in the country. But this isn't about us. Chapter 4, Growth Monster. Crazy, huh? Yeah. I really,
1: myself, I have a beautiful, a beautiful land. I about a beautiful property? Myself, I live out of Portland. Portland is kind of now, it's, it's disgusting now. It's too much traffic. The bicycle people, a lot of times, go in the middle
0: of the road. This was my property, he says, to the driver of the excavator.
1: Oh, really? Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I sold this one. I bought uh, 10 acres for uh, $140. Uh, I sold this one for uh, 250 That's a good deal. Sell this for 350 and probably go buy another piece for $140. <laughs> i am really tired of Portland any, anymore. It? It's faster to be walking for driving. Uh-huh. It's terrible. I'd like it, here hear Portland, Oregon, where I could have it, more roads for people. We yep. so wanted more people. It's only building only more big buildings. It is terrible. Yeah, it is. <laughs> All
0: right, man. All right. There once was an 100-year-old cottage in an odd little city. It had no electricity, but its garden was pretty. And that overgrown, wild harmony a good gardener achieves, It had roses and boulders, bamboos and trees, some piles of things not really of note, and a family of feral cats living under a boat. A rusty old car laid out like a carcass, it was our block's moss-covered cottage surrounded by darkness. One day I met the cottage dweller, a proud little man with many tall tales. I wasn't always sure exactly what he was saying, it was a mishmash of memory and lively speculating. With a sprinkle of phobia and macho prejudice fears, his sensibility was nothing new to my Brazilian ears and we engaged in friendly banter for the following years. I will not tell you his name, however, so there's no inquiry into the state of his papers. All you need to know is that he was a dear neighbor. So let's call him Little Bull. This way it doesn't get confusing and we give the man a name of his very own choosing.
2: He was quite homophobic, is, <coughs> and he was over here so often. I mean, he had a key, because he was doing a lot of painting and work around here, I he just gave him a key. Half the neighbors thought we were in a relationship. And, of course, his, his hackles would go
1: up, who said that to me, I was in, And he goes into his Mexican macho thing. Hey, Bob, you no know, idea, because this man, for what he age he has, it still looks like a big bull. Yeah, a little bull. <laughs> a little bull. Ah, pretty good. The bull, well. huh? oh. the bull bull. Lots of bull. Lots of bull. The bull bull. Oh You been yeah. able to say it yes or not? Oh yeah. The Toro is the yeah. Toro. The si. Toro, the no, Toro. No, no, <sighs> yes. The
0: the no.
3: Yes. No, the Toro.
0: This was a conversation at my neighbor Bob and Shelley's house. Bobby was there, and Little Bull with his girlfriend. She's the one who says, oh yeah, el toro is el toro. What year did you move here?
1: What year? The, the records show that last purchase of your property was 1998. I was living over there. I have it, uh, my girlfriend, Cherie. the the amiga la coqueta.
0: Por que coqueta? To put it there. It's coqueta. Flirt. <laughs> coqueta
1: doesn't flirt, OK. Oh. My girlfriend said, this this
0: house, 16,000.
1: She said, come and see it. Those trees? Why it big all the way sidewalk? There was more? The big, districts trees here? Yeah, I mean there was more trees. Ooh. There was
2: oh, lots yeah. of trees. Yeah. This neighborhood was full that's, of trees. That that's been we almost down. 25 years. It was yeah. real dark over here at night. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So how long have all of you known each other? You've I've, been here for 25 years, yeah. Bob and yeah, Shelley.
1: Yeah. I've been up a couple, about a year or two years before this guys. I was at that time when I come over here, I don't look at too many people too much. I was only one wolf alone right there, and then my my, my forest, my trees, covered all the way down to the sidewalk, sure. all the way down to to uh, this house in here. But you were kind of sketchy when you first moved. Oh my out. God! No, that I know, but no, I know yeah, it's you. Sure. No, I know that I would, I it Yes. Yeah. Twenty-one thousand in eleven months, I paid it off in eleven months. After that, I only party and hang around with the black people's face, face with the black girls. <laughs> I went to the tavern, drinking, enjoying my, 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 my biggest day. You know, when I go dancing, I can dance. I know I can dance. I dance with girls. The more beautiful black girls right there, I was dancing with I was dancing after about. I was dancing with about, 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 about five young ladies. Well, I was celebrating. I got my check from the book on the ship I know I was walking home. I only boom. Boom, boom, boom! Three shots was a was a back in my head. On the back. Three. I still have the marks. See the marks in here? I see the one back here. See here. Back you see? No, see that one? Yeah, right here. Both sides. Okay. Both sides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Both sides. One, two, and three. Uh huh. And then the hospital treat me like a dog. No give me nothing and throw me out. No, I not sign nothing and nothing, and then later I sent me the bill to pay. I went to the police, the police trolled me like a garbage, only say yeah, I want to go to look at it. But I never did. I called them, and never did. Why? Because at that time what was the black, the black, what was there something about the blacks?
0: What's Are You ready? Yeah. All right. Thanks for walking on our block with
4: me. Yeah. And then this is Carolina and Eric and Oliver and Sebastian's house. And it used to be um, a woman named Charlene's house, but she passed away and left her cats to the house across the street. They just lived there and they were homeless for a really long time. But then me and my mom started feeding them. That's
0: how I met your mother. Really? Yeah, I started helping with the cats. Oh, that's cool. (laughs)
4: Yeah, there used to be a huge boat there and the house was all, like, not nice. And it used to be his house, but he moved to the country or something. And he used to, he had this really small house, but they tore it down and they built this big hole. And now they have a huge house and when the workers were building it, they hit a gas or something, and it, there was a gas leak in the neighborhood, so we all had to be evacuated. Or, not evacuated, but we had to get out of our houses. So that was kind of exciting. But it's really different than his house. And they cut down all the trees that are around his house, so it's really sad, because now it's just this big cement.
0: That was my neighbor, Emma. Here's her mother, Zoe. Um, on our block, um, two people have left in the
5: past year and uh, sold his house and moved and um, had all these amazing plants and trees and flowers and beautiful wild property and cute little charming house, which I have no idea what state it was in on the inside, but um, it looked like a little, you know, fairy tale. And he sold the property, which is his absolute right to do. And I'm glad he's moving on and getting something better. but. I feel frustrated that he sold it to a developer. And so he's tearing out every single plant and uh, tree, even on the parking strip. I can't believe he did that. I I get the density thing. I would rather they built up in the city rather than spread. But it just seems like they're trying to make a profit. It doesn't seem like they're trying to make a city where normal average people can afford to live so it doesn't that doesn't feel good at all especially considering this neighborhood which has historically been more working class and and now it's just changing so quickly
0: and we're part of that change
5: yeah yeah i guess we are part of that change
0: I loved looking out my window to Little Bull's anachronic adobe. It flied in the face of gentrification, keeping it real in our inner zip code. It defied the persistent homogenization that for development was code. Yet our block's moss-covered cottage sat smack in our economy's crossroads. Arbitrary, yet architected, our homes were now real estate gold. So after 30 years Little Bull up and sold, he went to the country to make his new home, with plans to quit drinking and no longer roam. He says he's the happiest man on this earth, and how can I blame him for selling? It's only human to cash out. And we were all aware the prices were swelling. So it sold for 350K and got promptly demolished. They didn't even leave us some trees as a measure of solace. Stiff, boxy duplexes shot up in a flash. Weak, modern renditions of the inequality bash, Someone spray-painted greed on the developer's sign. The very next day, new signs were nailed up high. There was something to be said about that moss-covered cottage. It made the city feel like it was not yet held hostage by capital's whim and development neurotics. It stood there for a moment as difference declared, a creative diverse cohabitating there, of inspiring cities teeming with expression towards a shared prosperity towards meaningful connection.
3: Hi. ready? How many questions?
0: If you are, just a few. Yeah. Oh, okay, so uh, what okay. do you want to go? Um, Do you want to tell me your name and, and what you're doing here and where you are?
3: My name is Diego Sanchez. Mm-hmm. I'm the foreman of this crew. And we're building a foundation for this house.
0: Do you know where you are? Like the, what part of Portland?
3: Or the uh I just know it's like uh, southeast, southeast, north, north, northwest, right? Northeast. Northwest. Northeast. northeast yeah. Yeah, it's kind of be...
0: What What are you guys building? Uh,
3: this a Do you
0: know what it looks like?
3: Ah, uh, not really. Well, I I got the plants and I kind of know how it's gonna look. It's gonna be like. One, two, three storage. How
0: do you how do you think it fits with the rest of the houses around here?
3: Well, I mean it's gonna look kinda kinda weird, you know. And
0: yeah. how how do two duplexes fit here? I couldn't I can't even imagine. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean it's
3: very tight. I mean the 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 property is very tight. I mean they just have the minimum setbacks. Yeah.
0: Do you do you like these duplexes? Do you think they're interesting?
3: Well, I guess, um, no, uh, for me, I like more space, more yard.
0: So this is a story about all the changes that are happening in this part of Portland. are happening very fast. Oh, yeah. And some people are very sad with the changes and some people yeah. like it.
3: We experience changes every time. I mean, you can see them more often, you know, like technology. I mean, everything is growing so fast and, we're getting to the point that, I mean, before you you could see changes like every 10 years. And now it's like every two years, maybe a year. I don't know if that's scary or if it's good, you know, it depends.
0: I'm not going to rhyme my whole way through, but bear with me when I do here and there, because I couldn't resist the fable-like nature of Little Bull's Cottage. Plus, if you remember from last chapter, I shared a rhymed section from a giant children's book manuscript I wrote. So now I have this compulsion. I should have probably just stuck to prose though. Anyway, a few neighbors and I had interceded with the developer to have Little Bull's cottage deconstructed instead of demolished. Exposure to asbestos fibers in the air can cause cancer and lead dust can lead to brain damage. Children living near home demolition sites are at higher risk for elevated lead levels in their blood. But also, when a crew deconstructs a home, they salvage as many of the reusable materials as possible. Demolitions of old homes with no regards to neighbors is happening all around town. Last year, Portland finally passed new rules, but demolitions that were already planned didn't have to follow them. The new modern condos on our block push towards the edges of the lot. I do get the need for density, but we all saw the contradiction of how no one on our block could afford the new homes, even if many of us were already the second wave that had swept the original gentrifiers. Hey, Fred. Yeah. Can you tell me about what's going on
6: across the street? What's going on? Right they building the duplex. <laughs> so
0: what do you think about it?
6: I think. It's, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, it's a joke. The man had that house, it was, it was a, oh, it was a shack. Okay, you got $375,000 for the property, they motherfuckers here, they building a the duplex. They probably gonna want at least, they gonna want over five five $500,000 apiece for the motherfuckers. Okay, well, that, that there is not a property that I would say worth any damn thing. You understand, because, Whoever buys it, they better stay the ass in it because they're not going to make no money trying to sell it. Because it's 500000 or 600000 is probably about the max you're going to give, because there's not much you can do to that when you know the truck. I mean, try to upgrade it or whatever to understand the other shit. It's not a house, it's a duplex. Like, whoever lives in and like that, there to me would be a damn fool because it's not even worth that. I mean, that's to me is an insult to people working and trying to find a home. You know what I'm saying that all that is is somebody who wants to get the damn money and don't give a damn about the purse the people the person that's buying it. You know what I mean? You don't have no yard. You don't have nothing. <laughs> you know what I mean? An Oregonian is not gonna buy that shit. Mm-hmm. That's gonna be somebody from out of town, New York shit that ain't used to no damn yard and nothing like that. Mm-hmm. That you know
5: what
0: so. But you know, just like you said, like there's what a hundred people a day moving 115.
6: here. One hundred fifteen. You know you got you, you got all these black people. You know what i see moving out in the. In the suburbs, where your ass used to be out there, you didn't want to be in 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 town because there was a lot of blacks. Now you're pushing the blacks and in the, in the in the poor whites out to the to the suburbs. So, yeah, you know, it's just it's just. Uh, I don't think that the, the developers is developing the shit right. You know, I mean. But enough is enough, Yeah, we got we got too many people here already, I mean, you know, we, 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 we don't have, you're, cutting, you're moving all the people in, you're cutting down the damn street just said traffic is crazy as hell, you know, I mean, well, this is not New York, California, I mean, come on now, <laughs> we can't support all these motherfuckers, the sewer system, the shit is going to be over, overflowing and everything with all this shit, you know, they're not thinking about that, you know, so... There's a lot of things that I think these smart ass developers ain't thinking about you know, that's going on. That shit gonna happen in the long run. Hopefully, I'm dead and gone when shit comes, you know, but it is gonna happen. You know? You know?
0: That was our neighbor, Fred. Remember him from chapter two? Hello. Hi, is this Matt? This is me. How you doing? This is author Matt Hearn. I read his book, What a City Is For, when I started working on ICU. We spoke over the phone last year.
4: Uh, the, the control
2: of land is the absolutely central matter in moving wealth and resources and capital from one class to another. In fact, what we're seeing is an ongoing capture of wealth from the, from the public, from the commons via land into a particular kind of landed class. And we're seeing this constantly, right? So that all of us are overpaying for housing and I know it's Portland Portland as well.
0: The whole system of laws and politics in early USA was built around this idea of profit from private property. In fact, the Declaration of Independence initially stated that all men have the right to life, liberty, and property but it was later switched by Thomas Jefferson to Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness. The pursuit of happiness is a complicated concept. Is it an equivalent to property? Is it wealth? Jefferson's own property included over 100 human beings who were not granted the pursuit of happiness. This extreme individualism of property ownership is sacred in USA life and it corroded any notion that we have a responsibility towards a common good. You know, we have a housing
7: crisis in our city of Portland and this is gonna continue uh, as long as in our nation, housing's purpose is mainly as an investment strategy it's a business rather than the function of shelter. I mean, our whole economy has shifted and housing has become too important as an investment vehicle.
0: This is Professor Karen Gibson from Portland State. She explores racial economic inequality in the urban setting.
7: It's been, you know, place places, communities are being usurped and it's going to continue to go on. Unless we get a, you know, this is the, our stage of capitalism. I, my outlook is not real hopeful.
0: What are you guys doing?
4: Um basically just making a dam.
0: And where's the water coming from?
4: Uh over there. Oh, there? Our garden comes
8: out. Because the whole wide is garden. It goes down there onto the sidewalk house. And it goes down to the street, oh, it comes down then and
0: here. How many houses does it go by?
4: It goes by It goes by Bob and trains two? and then it goes yeah, to two house two houses
0: What used to be there, guys?
4: Uh a uh, house. Uh, it's a the- very old house <laughs> <laughs> and then they took it down and somebody else is going to live it. Yeah, I have a little annoyed you.
0: What was the house like that used to be here? Um,
8: very spider-y. It was very <laughs> spider <laughs> 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 It was
0: blue, had
8: a lot of good climbing trees. Those, yeah.
0: down. those were the children of our block. And here is Alexandra. Do you want to tell me where we're going? To the construction site? What does
8: it look like? Lots of rocks and nails and a big
0: building. Who do you think is going to live here? Nobody. <laughs> How come? Because
8: it's not finished yet. Yeah, that's true. It's almost finished. You can walk up the stairs. What does it look like? A giant block made out of wood with stairs and a door.
0: Have you guys been playing in the construction site?
8: Yeah. We've been playing hide-and-seek in the construction
0: site. Little Bull's house sat vacant, the children's play was making a statement. As their grown-ups fought back for no demolition, children explored Little Bull land on daily expeditions. They made bamboo weapons and disappeared in the yard of rotting cars and opossum nests, where grown-ups were unwanted guests. In the inner-city Narnia of our block's mythology, children had their own ideology. So let them come, I say, show us the urban child ecology. Go forth and play in every iteration of the so called development. Go forth, be petulant, be the wide eyed, full blown testament to a human geopolitical biology of place as home with no apology. Anyway, so the grown ups pushed for deconstruction and we won our handmade demolition when Mr. Developer decided that the lead plume might not be in his interest. Oh, Mr. Developer, I know I've singled you out. It's not fair, for we all play a part in the system. At least when your crews left, the children could climb the machines, have water gun fights in the foundation pit, their fervent honesty all spirit and wit. As the duplexes got erected, little feet hit wet cement, stray nails were collected, little treasures to be protected. Children told me then of just how dreamy, the thought of a place for them alone, the obvious sanity of a commons, free zone, a chunk of the block that they could own. Oh my loves, this world does not yet see you deserving of space in society. Instead, we send you to the educational industry devoid of safety, freedom, and privacy. At least we convince Mr. Developer not to poison you. Damn it, if that's the least we can do do you want to tell me what you guys are doing?
4: We are playing um, on a
0: river that we made in our
4: front front yard. Like, you, you have a clear view of it from the sidewalk. And there's two giant steps. Each one has a lake positioned on it. We have Lake Oliver um, in our front yard feeds into Lake Sebastian on the top step. And Lake Sebastian, also. He's into Lake Fisher. Yeah, both Oliver and Sebastian are friends of mine. Um, and Lake Sebastian feeds into Lake Fisher, and Lake Fisher feeds onto the sidewalk. And some get times get kind slippery. Yeah.
0: What does the sidewalk look like?
8: Uh, mudslide? Well, my mom and, my mom doesn't really like when it gets all on to the sidewalk.
1: Only life you live once and join at the most. Change with time. Time changed the mayor and really need to go have dreams in life. Only myself, I believe I need to go to a place I want to able to study in my sleep. Because most of the time I sleep, I dreams. The next morning I wake up, more hard, more tired sometimes than resting. I used to be scared of dreams. And one person told me, you, you go to many places can nobody else go." And I go a lot of places. I've been in a lot of places. And I feel like I've been there. Plus, now I left the alcohol, 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 drinking for 54 years and I leave the alcohol behind, leaving that angry behind. I feel, I feel like a finished grown up person only finally. And then now on, I want to be keeping going to do better life. I want to leave something in this. Room. People get thinking all the time about undying, dying, It's not good. Es solo poner, hey, let the dead come when they come and then they give, hey, adiós. No make any difference. Puedo escribir un libro de, de las historias en mi vida. Pero todo todo lo que ten, todo tengo, todo desde pequeñito. Todavía me recuerdo cuando iban allí donde estaba en, el, en mi rancho, hacía abajito, donde estaba un arroyito. Y Todavía me recuerdo cómo estaban los árboles. Estaba así un, un árbol.
0: He says he wants to write a book. His past is very clear in his memory. He remembers his childhood, the ranch and the well where he fetched water, the trees. It is also very clear in his mind. He says the past doesn't leave him; that it's all in his head, night and day.
1: De noche, de día, de noche, de día, puro trabajo y trabajo. Una cosa tengo que voy a comenzar a tomar más agua. Soy como un camello que no tomo agua.
0: He says he needs to drink more water. I started this project because I only lived in gentrifying neighborhoods in the US. And when we moved here, I'm like, wow, we're smack in the middle of another gentrifying story. And it's a normal progression cycle. This is my neighbor Trang. She lived across the street from us and next door to Little Bull. It's kind of natural process. This is a sentiment that a few neighbors expressed to me. It's getting
6: cleaned up. Your value's going up, you know, at the same time. It's happening everywhere, every country. You know, more population Americans live longer. We don't have much more land, so it's high density living and it's gonna have to drive out people. It's basically survival of the fittest too. I mean, shit, I wish I could still live in San Francisco. I can't afford it and I don't wanna deal with, you know. I mean, if I could own a home like what I have here in Portland, I would still, I would be living in San Francisco. But I couldn't afford that, so I had to
0: bail. Gentrification is not a natural process. It's the result of racist policies and decisions designed to maintain inequality. But let's start from the beginning and recap where this story has primarily taken place. Displacement in Portland started with the forced removal of indigenous peoples. Portland is in Oregon, and the Oregon Donation Land Act of 1850 promised free land to white settlers only. In 1857, by popular vote, Oregon inserted an exclusion clause that made it illegal for black people to remain in the state. This clause was not removed until 1926. Where we lived in Portland, through the process of planned segregation, it had been primarily African American neighborhoods. So how is this segregation planned, you asked? Segregation was made law several times in the 18th and 19th century. Then, starting in the 1930s, maps were marked with areas considered bad risks for mortgages in a practice known as redlining. The areas marked in red were typically black neighborhoods. The Housing Act of 1949 was supposed to solve a housing shortage, but the act subsidized housing for whites only, even stipulating that black families could not purchase the houses even on resale. The program effectively resulted in the government funding white flight from the cities. Redlining continued, and along with the denying or limiting of financial services to certain neighborhoods based on race or ethnicity, and the systematic denial of mortgage capital, there were also predatory lenders, speculators, and absentee landlords. So if you can't get capital to own a home or invest in improvements, it just accelerates the decline of the neighborhood. And since home ownership is the most common form of wealth, this whole process perpetuates economic inequality. And don't think we're over this cycle, present-day segregation is still happening. According to a Reveal investigation, redlining is alive and well, and the gap is bigger today even though we outlawed housing discrimination with the Fair Housing Act in 1968. So there's redlining, and then comes the decline of the neighborhoods, and then comes gentrification, which usually happens in these urban areas where there was disinvestment. So with gentrification comes the reinvestment in housing, commercial buildings, as well as transportation, parks, signage, and lighting, for example. It's not just a matter of higher income residents wanting a centrally located neighborhood. It's the result of premeditated government and public sector decisions.
7: Redlining is a self-fulfilling prophecy. And Jane Jacobs, uh, the urban planner of the 60s, who wrote The Death and Life of Great American Cities, talked about how if you declare a neighborhood unworthy of investment, that means it will decline. It will become disinvested. Here's Professor Karen Gibson again. Then when the revitalization occurred, I think that one thing that needs to be on people's minds is the role of African Americans in revitalizing the community. You know, despite all the overwhelming odds, the community members fought back, pleaded with the city for decades to not disinvest, to help clean up the neighborhoods, to keep them healthy and wholesome, uh, to stop the redlining. I mean, this was known back in the 70s that redlining was occurring. Uh, So people, African Americans and others in those neighborhoods fought to preserve their neighborhoods and they played a role in the revitalization and they should get credit for it. And I think that's something that is not necessarily considered in the narrative.
0: Gentrification mirrors how we feel insecure, how we all know that once we sell, we can't even stay in the neighborhood. The only people that can now afford your block are richer than you. Gentrification also holds many complexities, as all things do. Little Bull says he's the happiest man on earth, and from my privileged perspective, having left the city to live in the forest, it's a dream. By selling, we also got out of a big part of our debt, so we feel less trapped. The irony for me is that as an artist in the US, I've experienced the role of pre-gentrifier a few times. With no resilient economy, artists are often living at the margins, And as we move into neighborhoods with low rent, we end up helping plant some of the seeds that attracts the white, gentrifying tidal wave. And once that tsunami hits, and the city sounds like this, and the neighborhoods become homogenous, which creates the isolation that feels so divisive.
9: Your block was a mixture of, uh, you had a couple of good people it was mostly rentals back then. You had a lot of drug houses in the area in general. It was different. It wasn't a community like it, was, like it is today. That's why I always laugh and I hear people reminisce about the good old days. You know, I mean, there were some good parts to it. I grew up here. I, I, there were some nice people. We had some good times here, but there's a lot of things that we take for granted today that just did not exist back then. And so I wanted my family out of here, and I couldn't get my darn mother to move.
0: This is Fred Stewart, a real estate broker who grew up in the neighborhood.
9: And, uh, you know, if you look at the old news reports, I tell everybody, the old news reports are all true. No no matter how bad you hear the stories were, they were worse because people didn't care about this area. Black people wanted out and didn't care. White people didn't give a shit because black people lived here. It was refreshing and shocking By 1990, I had picked up pretty strong that people started caring about this area. I was selling homes cheap. People were fixing up on their homes. You know, uh, the whole thing about living close to downtown Portland, Um, a lot of white people I dealt with wanted their kids to grow up in an an interracial area. That was a big, strong value. That's why a lot of white people, older white people, usually yell at me now, because I've literally had white people yell at me for selling houses to other white people. I don't think white people moving into this area now care about that one way or the other. I'm not saying they're racist. I'm just saying that they're looking for all of the accoutrements of a good area to live in. They're not necessarily thinking about the racial you know, aspects of it all. But in the early 90s, late 80s, yes, that was a big... Why else would they, other than value and something like that, would they ignore their families and friends? A lot of white people who moved over here in the 80s and 90s, their families and friends thought they were nuts. We've had four gentrification periods in Portland history. This is the first one and only one that black people were able to participate. Black people probably owned four to 500 of the homes around here. So as the neighborhood rose, you saw a lot of equity, equity we've never seen before. You yeah, remember, before these houses started selling in the early 90s, we had redlining. Black people couldn't even get a; they couldn't sell it and get cashed out. They couldn't get a refinance. White people take refinancing for granted. <laughs> you understand? There's U.S. Bank. You weren't going to go to U.S. Bank. It's a U.S. Bank. I got a half a million dollars worth of real estate. Can I get five thousand dollars <laughs> so I could paint one of them or two of them or whatever it cost back the years? It it wasn't going to happen. You understand? So. What you saw is a lot of black people saw for the first time they reali- they were realizing real equity out of their home. And I know what a lot of them did with it, a lot of them bought real estate in other areas of the, of the state, other areas of the city, other areas of the country. Some people used it to pay off college debt or send their kids to college.
0: So you're saying this wave of gentrification is the first opportunity for African Americans in Northeast Portland to accrue some wealth?
9: To accrue some wealth at all. Out of, their, out of their real estate. I saw a woman and her kids walking down my street. You know, she's a young woman, maybe 25, 26. This kid is growing up in this neighborhood and their vantage point is going to be so much different than mine. You, you understand? about I like that. And I don't feel bad about liking that because I wish, you understand, I had the same vantage point that kids has got. I didn't go on walks with my mom in this neighborhood. What we're seeing is that Two things in this: the damage of redlining and oppressive racism, right? Um, but the other hand, as it ended, we're seeing black people get paid for it, not as much as they deserve.
0: But do you think, in the overall picture, have do you, genuine, sincerely feel there's progress?
9: Yes, but not enough.
0: As we honestly look at all these changes, we must hold such complexities in mind that it's often not just disgruntled transition, there's also joy, there's folks coming out on top. Yet it doesn't deny or diminish the role of systemic racism and the wild inequality that feeds the cycle of segregation and gentrification and on and on.
9: Everything became equal about 91. Black people probably didn't notice it till the early 2000s. White people, they noticed it only because they expected it. <laughs> you give a meaning, the way they're raised and everything. Black people were expecting to fail. How many black people didn't even try to buy these homes because they didn't think they could get a loan, no matter how good their credit was? I think white people need to think about that history. So you've owned a piece of property since 1953 you can't because the redlining get money out of it you just know how many times are you going to try and then you're just going to give up so when do you know things have actually changed until you see what a lot of development around you you, you how, that's what that's was telling people so a lot of black people didn't see it how could they have seen it and even though they have people like me and others saying it's changing it's changing You can't blame them for not necessarily believing it. The community was raped for years. For years. You understand? They didn't know that the rape had ended.
0: That was Fred Stewart again. And here's our neighbor, Bobby.
2: I mean, I think there could have been more to help the people that were here at the time. You know, like they say, uh, charity begins at home. And I think they completely looked over that, you know, and just let the people here just fall by the wayside instead of uh, creating, you know, educational opportunities or any kind of way of know, There's a lot of things that people didn't know here that could have helped them, Uh, I'm not sure. Just general ways of living and how to become prosperous, you know, just seemed like it wasn't uh, something that was instilled you know, and and, and people growing up here in our community. We were kind of satisfied with living, you know, having our home and, you know, we just thought it was about life and being a good person, you know, and then by the time we found out that it's really not, it's too late.
0: I remember this conversation with Bobby, how it sunk deep for me the question about when did it cease to be enough to simply figure out how to be good in this world? Author Matthew Desmond in an article titled How Home Ownership Became the Engine of American Inequality says that America's national housing policy gives affluent homeowners large benefits, middle-class homeowners smaller benefits, and most renters who are disproportionately poor nothing. It is difficult to think of another social policy that more successfully multiplies America's inequality in such a sweeping fashion. To drive down poverty and promote economic mobility, the United States will need to make a major investment in affordable housing. He goes on to say that when we think of entitlement programs, Social Security and Medicare immediately come to mind, but by any fair standard the Holy Trinity of United States social policy should also include the mortgage interest deduction. When it comes to public housing for the rich, it becomes hard to break the cycle of welfare dependency. Matthew Desmond concludes that poverty and homelessness our political creations, Poverty our political creations, 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 our political creations. There are no neat endings here, or a step-by-step guide to reconciliation and equity but it is obvious that there needs to be economic justice on our path to racial justice. We'll need new ideas on how to establish solidarity when our shared histories are dominated by violations of trust. Author Wendell Berry says, a question that must trouble the rest of the world a good deal more than it troubles us is, can we learn to use our power to avoid the doom of it? Has anybody? ever got what he needs. He sold and got out and down came the trees. A boxy monolith took root in his leave. The economic incentivization that encourages displacement sends us scurrying and shuffling green bills in our pockets, not getting far in the process. We can't afford once we sell to stay in town so off we go to start over and hope that community will grow. But there's no community life in the moving non-stop. The system is rigged for the affluent lot. There's economic incentivization to sell, to be upwardly mobile in a world going to hell. There's no incentivization to lay down your roots, to find purpose and service and meaning to boot. I felt conflicted when it was our turn, our transience of privilege a symptom and a given. I'd started rooting, but felt ambivalent about the city. I couldn't make real efforts when my allegiance was shifty city after city of pollution, traffic and noise. So we took our damn privilege and gathered the boys. We went to the country where I now have to drive. I own my first car, it's a troubling compromise. Two years later on our old city block, the duplexes sat empty in a sorry deadlock. Some miscalculated bet in the frenzy to net, purged, dark and silent, monolithic and shrewd, the corners that were cut so obvious and lewd. Some cheap imitation of a modernist style, a deluded take on what makes this life worthwhile like big old windows, yet in this case with no view, just the antics of Fred or Fisher and crew, our little old street and display just for you. What is it that we really develop in these frenzied times, some competitive story I can't fit into rhyme? Like I said in the last chapter, affordable housing won't develop itself, our quirky homes will crumble for nothing more than a real big sell. There is no common good, no soul in the disruption There's only this scramble and the growth mindset corruption.
9: A neighborhood is only as stable and and as good as the people who are moving into it, their investment in it.
0: This is Fred Stewart again, the real estate broker who grew up here.
9: I think it's important for newcomers to know the history. I don't want them to feel um, guilty about it, but they do need to understand the history and respect it. People think the racism is done, is gone. Some of the stuff could come back tomorrow. You have to be somewhat vigilant, and the only way to be vigilant is to know the history. You you understand?
0: Understanding that we do what's best for our family, knowing that we're a part of a story of disenfranchisement, what comes up as a way to be part of the movement towards change is to pressure the city as a community to not put profit as a number one priority. The city simply can't build or subsidize enough affordable housing to meet demand without looking at the solutions for the region as a whole, to raise the unlivable minimum wage, to incentivize small business, and so on. We can't look at affordable housing outside of the context, or as Audrey Lord famously puts it, there is no such thing as a single-issue struggle, because we do not live single-issue lives.
4: Can I go down there, Mama?
0: Mama, can I? I'm just not sure because of that machine. Well... Nothing.
9: Start pushing the people that we vote for to include affordable housing in all urban renewal plans, or all urban plans. You understand? Don't let them slip on it. And when they fail, call them out on it.
0: I turn off the radio when there's any update on consumer spending or the Dow Jones Industrial Average or the NASDAQ Composite or any and all other such mind-numbing indexes of life in terms of growth. Matt Hearn, author of What a City is For, reminds us that we should start with questions, not the foregone conclusions. For example, how is it that these growth standards rule the understanding of being alive in these times? Or what would be healthiest for individuals and community We have to think that way because capitalism will not. Profit is no model for livability and growth is no model for our planet. No city can resist gentrification while the economy is growth oriented. So what are cities willing to do to prevent their most vulnerable residents from being displaced at capital's whim? The nature of this question drives this whole story for me and frankly, all of my work and efforts. How can we as a community hold our most vulnerable? How can we ask essential questions that do not originate from a growth economy mindset? Matt Hearn describes what feels to me like the best tonic for keeping on. He says that large scale change comes in fits and starts and small efforts that are not quantifiable or easily categorized we just have to do the work.
4: Is it Katarina or Carolina?
0: Carolina in English. <laughs> C- Carolina Sorry. in
7: Carolina. Let me just see you. Hold on a second.
0: Yeah. That's author Matt Hearn again, and my apologetic two name introduction. So, what do you feel the tools are at hand? The one that I like in particular is the community land trust model, but the actual models and the actual tools I think are relatively
2: consequential. Those emerge quickly and easily as soon as the political will is there. That is what is most fundamentally missing.
0: The models and tools, he says, are relatively inconsequential. Those emerge quickly and easily as soon as the political will is there. So we're walking up to some stairs. Here's Danny. He's Emma's brother. And we're going to the old our
8: old neighbor's house. I just found a nail back gonna keep. And I found two more nails. Now I just wanted to explore and find some other stuff that are useful, like um, like other stuff. I don't want to know what I'm gonna get. One of the nails were sort of crooked, crooked, so I'm gonna throw it out the window. But I just want to wait until I go to the window now. Now we're going to walk some more walls. I see? Now we're looking out a window to my arm to the next door neighbor's house. And now we see a squirrel walking with something in its mouth on the fence. And now we see a tree house, some frisbees, a bucket. And now we see a black cat crossing the fence also, chasing a a squirrel. Now it's walking some more. I figured out it's not chasing a cat. But it's a me. Now it's looking
0: at me wagging his tail. As the children played on the various iterations of Little Bull's Cottage, from empty home through deconstruction and the duplex being built, they claimed the commons. Their actions spoke of a need for space and time to congregate on the block level. Human clusters are not centered around community and livability. They were developed around industry. When cars came around, and with it new roads and highways, neighborhoods and animal habitats were disrupted or eliminated, and cities were virtually transformed. It's estimated that as much as half of a modern American city is dedicated to streets, parking lots, service stations, driveways, car dealerships, and so on. Our own historically segregated section of Portland was cut in half by a freeway in the 60s.
1: And now I'm really, I'm the more the, the happiest man on earth. Having my place, quiet, all the, all the areas are right over there. People say 10 acres or five acres or seven acres, one house. I can't able to change it for nothing. It's, it's only fresh air.
0: That was Little Bull again. We're standing by his empty lot as the excavator is finishing up
1: coming here to Portland and make me and um, you know when my fruits got here it was a nice town
0: there's plenty of great theories on livable cities yet these actual livable sustainable places are few our built environment simply does not reflect human and ecological needs it's a mirror to the growth monster that consumes our ecosystems our traditions and communal bonds Spaces that would allow us to stay connected and engaged in ways that are meaningful are not the ways of the automobile, of the housing market, or the internet. Growth economies keep us hungry. It feeds the industries that shape our experiences, that shape our very neighborhoods. Author Gary Snyder in the Practice of the Wild said, Creatures who have traveled with us through the ages are now apparently doomed, as their habitat and the old, old habitat of humans falls before the slow motion explosion of expanding world economies. If the lad or lass is among us, who knows where the secret heart of this growth monster is hidden, let them please tell us where to shoot the arrow that will slow it down. The author Eisenstein says that the study of ecology is teaching us that species evolve not only to serve their own genetic self-interests, but that they also evolve to serve the needs of other species in the whole. This would not have been surprising to cultures who were close to nature. Who knew that for each species that goes extinct, the whole ecosystem is just that much more fragile. Competition does not define human evolution. Competition does A not finite define planet human cannot evolution. Accommodate infinite the growth. interest of each is the, A interest, finite of all. the planet interest of each accommodate in the interest of each As author Matt Hearn describes. What if we saw city dwellers more as producers rather than consumers? What if we held common land together and built an economy of solidarity? Neighborhood by neighborhood, something that will wax and wane, be built and rebuilt. But above all, to be comfortable with that rhythm of humans trying things together, or else we set ourselves up for endless loops of disappointment. It makes so much sense to experiment at a city level, it's a good way to resolve problems at one scale that don't necessarily work at another. Our ability to cooperate and adapt is what gives us the strongest likelihood of succeeding in the long run. The interest of each is the interest of all. <laughs> Do you know this part? Of this course? part No
3: I never been here before. Well normally I drove, drive around. This area, but no, not really.
0: Have you worked on other projects in this area?
3: Yeah, we have done so many, like five more projects around here mm. in this neighborhood.
0: It's a lot of construction happening, right? Oh yeah,
3: yeah. Recently, yeah.
0: Is that good?
3: Well, it's good for the for the economy, I would say. I mean, money is moving. You know, everything. The money to buy, money to expand. I don't know if it's good for the neighborhood, you know, to have all these nice houses and then get something, like, more newer.
0: This is Diego again. He was building the duplexes on Little Bull's old lot. And where are you guys from? Uh, Hillsboro. I'm from, I'm from Brazil. I immigrated Brazil. Oh, yeah. 15 years ago, yeah. What well, park? Sao Paulo? Sao Paulo. Mm. So, Portland feels like a small city, mm-hmm. but... The way it changes is different than the changes we experience in South America. Are you from Mexico?
3: Mexico City. Yeah, Mexico City, Uh so yeah, you Mm know. Oh, yeah.
0: (laughs) So, how do you feel about Hillsboro compared to living in Mexico City?
3: We own a house, and it's nice to have, you know, like at least 10 feet away from the other houses in Mexico City that you just right next to, to the other person. You don't have any space barely p- privacy and I, I mean I love this place the, the trees you know the environment is nice we, we don't have much uh, no nor a lot of pollution right here mm-hmm. and Mexico city is just sad just to, to see how they they the government they don't care about the environment I mean li- I like here better than In Mexico, than Mexico. Yeah.
0: do you feel safer
3: I mean I like I like it because it's safe for my family too not just for me. So.
0: Yeah, no, I, I feel the same when I go back to Brazil. I'm afraid of Brazil now. I didn't I didn't used to be afraid of Brazil. Oh yeah. But as a mother I'm afraid.
3: So Alice, I mean right here you you feel safe as you said and I mean I like the, you know, the environment here. The people is nice. You know, they're, they're very respectful. Mm-hmm. In Mexico when I was studying, you know, middle school or elementary school. They were talking about the United States as a as the first world. You know, they have the third yeah. one world, second war and third world. Mexico is, is in the on the on the third world, you know, like. But right here, I mean I just imagine for a first first world country, you still see homeless people, you still see a lot of poor people around on mm-hmm. the on the streets. So that's no good, especially because it should be you know the Everybody could, could afford to have a, a decent house, you know, no matter what you do, if you are a landscaper or be, if you work on Walmart or Winko Foods or whatever. But no, I mean, every time it's kind of, it's like more impossible to live here if you don't have a nice income or at least two people in your home are working. Because before, it used to be just the men who work and, and give the, and provide for the family. And now it has to be both. Yeah, uh, I see those changes, and I'm afraid, you know. Like, yeah, you're talking about the changes here, but I used to see them everywhere, everywhere. It depends where you are. Yeah. The same thing.
0: How much do you think these duplexes are going to cost?
3: A lot, because I mean, just the the foundation by itself is going to be expensive.
0: So just guess.
3: I would say like maybe 400,000.
0: Those right there, two. You see the white and blue? Uh, those are two Duplexes. I don't know if it's the same developer, but kind of the same size and same narrow. Six, seven.
3: Each. Each one. Mm-hmm.
0: I remember in hidden beaches on the coast of my state of Sao Paulo in Brazil, how mad we'd get when someone found our secret corners of high jumping rocks or hidden waterfalls. How as the decades passed, it felt like a violation to go back and see the rampant, unregulated development. It was one of the most magical coasts, carved into the Mata Atlântica, the Atlantic Forest, a coastal jungle with mountains, waterfalls, rivers, and islands. Originally, the Mata Atlântica stretched up to the north of Brazil, and now there's only 8% left. Growth is a moral imperative in the so-called developing world. And in the United States, of course, this religion is called the American Dream. Late last year, Portland City Council voted once again to extend a housing emergency to deal with the city's housing crisis. In the USA, housing costs have been rising faster than incomes for a long time. Since 1979, the median hourly wage has hardly budged in this country, and almost 80% of workers Live from paycheck to paycheck. To embark on an economic system centered around human needs and the health of our planet. Now that would slice the cancerous secret heart of the growth monster. And where
1: are you from? I'm from I'm from Mexico, Jalisco. Do you miss it? Ever? I messed it for a long time. I don't want to live here in the United States for many years. I have all the time my dream is in Mexico. But now, finally, I found my property. Now it's like it, I don't mess it anymore. I have a dream. Get the uh, American flag. I think I'm going to become a United States, US citizen. I'm going to try. I don't know. I'm going to say, look, I've been living here for a long time. I've been hearing my mistakes. but did that comes with the territory? When I was a little kid, I I I I, I lived by myself. I was I still rem- I was about probably about probably about four or five years old when I already stayed by myself in the ranch. Go look for the cattle, for the cows. One time I still remember I told my dad what's happening when the moon go down. So no worry about it. The moon coming down, the sun coming up.
0: I went to tell our neighbor Fred that we were moving. He asked if the bills had dragged us down and he talked about the duplexes across the street. they shouldn't be moving to this part of town. He adds that whoever buys them they're definitely not gonna last. How he's gonna show them what block they ended up on and how he's gonna have a blast. And that when they inevitably decide to leave there will be no way to resell because they're gonna have paid too much and they'll just be stuck in the Fred carousel. The two Latin folks on the block have fled and now we live in places that sound like this. American dream of all the possible schemes, this one makes us seem like we're woven right into the fabric. These two haphazard migrants hit the timing just right and now we're bathing in USA magic. Behold the complexities, the endless nuance. In this land of amenities, the irony of this is not lost. These Latins with fictional felonies, these border-crossing fiends, truth is, we all belong everywhere. We're all a part of the dream. So I curse the growth hormone disorder, development reigning supreme, the rat race mythology in the human bloodstream. Little Bull and Carolina in their own way bid farewell to the souring mainstream of the American cell. Nature is falling to pieces, our cities crowded and ruthless. Each and every one of us is earthbound. Will we figure out how to live large and close to the ground? When you feel the rotten, dank breath of the growth monster down your neck, love largely and boldly. Keep working to fix what we've broken, and whatever you do, do not stop. I'd say especially when you feel the air sucked out, the life marrow shriveling, and the growth monster drought. Remember, good friend, every generous life is a contribution. In the complex interdependence of seeking harmony and worth, let's ignite some compassionate retribution. Let's be unsettling with our kindness and pierce the secret heart of darkness. 4 Growth Monster was written, produced, edited, and mixed by me, Carolina Fister. I'm the Jesse Stevens composes original tracks and textures. Provides audio post-production and mastering. Jesse delivers every single time. I am so lucky and grateful. Big gratitude to my partner Eric or Eriki, who co-creates harmony and space for us to pursue the things that matter. Thank you, La Madre, por essa generosidade sem fim. And thank you, Comrade Jeffrey, for handing me critical books, for reading and debating everything. And thank you, Southwester. Special thanks to my Northeast Portland block, Fred Stewart and Professor Karen Gibson. Thank you, Caldera, for kicking off my year with residency time to work on this again. The following tracks were used with permission from Fresh Selects of Portland, Oregon. New Beginnings by Charlotte Dos Santos, Journey to Giga Gaia, and DNA Feels by Low Leaf, as well as A Light Within by Low Leaf and King Brit, and Daily Meditation by Iman Omari. Massive thank yous to the artists and Fresh Selects. La Musique Electronique de Niger by Mamansani et son orc. Used with permission from Sahel Sounds, thank you. Closing track, All Is Too Much by Human Heat, used with the artist's permission. Thank you, Alex. I See You Keeps Going, but this chapter wraps up the Portland Block story. There's just a tiny sliver left untouched for the next episode. Otherwise, I'm diving right into the wild country life. Thank you for listening, obrigada, and ciao. E para os queridos brazucas ouvindo, valeu, valeu e muita paz.